Welcome to Living the Bible Together. This is Dr. Troy Shaw, pastor of the Liberty Hill Church, internationally headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, located at 4410 Refugee Road. We worship here online Sundays at 11 a.m. We celebrate communion on the first Sunday of each month. Our Bible study is on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock p.m. For additional information, log on to livingthebibletogether.org. Join us here weekly as we're living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Good evening, Liberty Hill. Tonight's Bible study will be coming out of 1 Samuel chapter 14. I'll be teaching from the NI version. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you yet again for another opportunity to come into your presence to study your word. Lord God, it is my prayer that you open every ear to hear and every heart to receive all that it is that you would have for us to receive. And dear God, I will be so careful to give you all the glory, honor, and praise because I recognize that it all belongs to you. And so it is in Jesus' name that I pray this prayer. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to his younger armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichbath, brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine post was a cliff. One was called Bozet and the other Shanae. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash and the other to, other to the south towards Gibba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, Come on then. We will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, Wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, we will climb up because we will be our because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outposts. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army. 
Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, Muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who was not there. Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking to each other with their swords. The Hebrews, who had previously been with the Philistines, had gone up with them to their camp, went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth Avon. Now the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. The entire army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. When they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out, yet no one put his hand to his mouth because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father had bound the people with an oath. So he reached out the end of the staff, that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb. He raised his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. Then one of the soldiers told him, Your father bound the army under a strict oath saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food today. That is why the men are faint. Jonathan said, My father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brighten when I tasted a little of this honey? How much better it would have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took from their enemies. Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? That day, after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Ajalon, they were exhausted. They pounced on the plunder and taking sheep, cattle, and cows, they butchered them on the ground and ate them together with the blood. Then, once, then someone said to Saul, Look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that has blood in it. You have broken faith, he said. Roll a large stone over here at once. Then he said, Go out among the men and tell them, Each of you bring me your cattle and sheep and slaughter them here and eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with blood still in it. So everyone brought his ox that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. Saul said, let us go down and pursue the Philistines by night and plunder them till dawn and let us not leave one of them alive. Do whatever seems best to you, they replied. But the priest said, let us inquire of God here. So Saul asked God, shall I go down and pursue the Philistines? Will you give them into Israel's hand? But God did not answer him that day. Saul therefore said, Come here, all you who are leaders of the army, and let us find out what sin has been committed today. 
as surely as the Lord who rescues Israel lives. Even if the guilt lies with my son, Jonathan, he must die. But not one of them said a word. Saul then said to all the Israelites, you stand over there and I and my, and Jonathan, my son, will stand over here. Do what seems best to you, they replied. Then Saul prayed to the Lord, the God of Israel. Why have you not answered your servant today? If the fault is in me or my son, Jonathan, respond with Urim. But if the men of Israel are at fault, respond with Thurman. Jonathan and Saul were taken by Lot and the men were cleared. Saul said, cast a lot between me and Jonathan, my son, and Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. So Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the end of my staff, and now I must die. And Saul said, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if you do not die, Jonathan. But the men said to Saul, should Jonathan die, he who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Never, as surely as the Lord lives, not a hair on his head will fall to the ground, for he did this day with God's for for he did this day this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. Then Saul stopped pursuing the Philistines, and they withdrew to their own land. After Saul had assumed role over Israel, he fought against their enemies on every side. Moab, the Ammonites, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. Whether, wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment on them. He fought valiantly, valiantly and defeated the Am Amalekites, delivering Israel from the hands of those who had plundered them. Saul's sons were Jonathan, Ishvi, Malkashua, the name of his older daughter was uh, Mirab, and the younger was uh, Michal. His wife's name was Ahinium, daughter of Ahimaaz. The name of the commander of Saul's army was Abner, son of Ner, and Ner was Saul's uncle. Saul's father, Kish, and Abner's father, Ner, were sons of Abiel. All the days of Saul, there was bitter war with the Philistines. And whenever Saul, saw, whenever Saul saw a mighty or brave man, he took him into his service. So endeth the reading. As we examine this evening's text, we find the striking contrast between two leaders and their approach to the same critical situation. These two leaders one being of a lower rank. And so let's look at chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. It says, One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his armor bearer, Jonathan is the son of Saul. He is the leader over a portion of Saul's military. And so uh, an armor bearer is one who is in the military who assists a troop by carrying or bearing his armor. He carries around his armor. He carries around things that he may need in war. But not only does he do that, he also assists in protecting and making sure that that troop is safe. Um, and so he tells his armor bearer, he says, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. In fact, his father 
was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah, and he was under a pomegranate tree, and he was surrounded by 600 men who were left from the 3,000 troops that he initially had. Um, as we've seen in the previous chapter last week, uh, Saul gathered 3,000 men of Israel. He put his son Jonathan over 1,000, and he kept 2,000 for himself. But what happened in the previous chapter is that his son Jonathan launched an attack on a Philistine military outpost, which is another name for a, a military base where some of the military of the Philistines were stationed. He launched an attack, and from that attack, the other Philistine army, the military heard about it. It incensed them. It made them angry, and so they gathered to come up against Israel. Well, when they come up against Israel, again, Israel only has a thousand troops. When they show up, they really show up and they are they outnumber Israel. They assembled, it said in um, verse 5 of chapter 13, they had 3,000 chariots, 6,000 chariots and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the shores. And so, clearly, Israel was outnumbered. They knew they, they were outnumbered so much so that it caused fear in Israel. People were running because of um, this threat. They were running because they knew they were facing a critical situation. They were running and hiding. They were hiding in caves and rocks. They were hiding in cisterns. They were hiding in um, pits. Some even went, uh, they crossed over the Jordan. They ran across over the Jordan. Some of the men that were with Saul, they were, it's, the text said that it, they were they were quaking, they were visibly quaking, meaning that you can see that they were scared. And then some of them even deserted Saul because of this huge threat, because of this situation. So chapter 14 is a continuation of chapter 13. They are still in this critical situation. They have not started battling yet. Again, Jonathan, he already had launched an attack. It pissed them off and now they are facing they are coming up against israel to face them in battle well in the meantime like it says in verse one it says one day jonathan said to his young armor bearer come let's go over to the philistine outpost on the other side so he he attacked on one side now he's wanting to attack on the other side even in the midst of all of this stuff happening with all of these people in israel the military some of the military they're all fleeing and scattering and things like that this leader, this bold leader, this courageous leader is ready to launch an attack where his father, King Saul, he's staying on the outskirts of Gibeah underneath a pomegranate tree. He's, he's, stationed, he's stationed underneath there. He's resting under a pomegranate tree. His son is ready to launch another attack. And so he tells this to his armor bearer. But let's back up. Not only is Saul surrounded by 600 men. This time, uh, among them was Ahijah, who was wearing the ephod, meaning a priest. He's, he is a priest. He, um, this priest is the son of Ichabod's brother. Ichabod is the son of Phineas, a priest, who is the son of Eli. We learned about them in previous chapter, chapter and the, the, the downfall that they suffered because of their um, Phineas and his brother, they were operating 
wickedly they were mishandling money they were stealing money they were mishandling the lord's sacrifice and then they suffered a consequence and their consequence was death and so ahijah is from the line of eli uh, who was served at the as the lord's priest in shiloh and it also states here that no one even not not only did he not tell saul Jonathan tells Saul what he was about to do. It says no one was aware that Jonathan had even left. And so, Jonathan, it says again, and if we look at verse 6, it says, it repeats it again. It said, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord, when he talks about the uncircumcised men, this is a derogatory term used to describe Israel's enemies. And this particular enemy is the Philistines. And so he says, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So Jonathan, like we see in verse 6, this leader, he, he's facing the same criticism critical situation as his father is facing but this particular leader he is bold and courageous he struck before even though it sent out fear um, amongst um, his fellow Israelites and the military and most of the military he's not fearful he's ready to move forward he does he's not bothered by them being outnumbered that doesn't seem to bother him they were also ill-equipped because they didn't even have the weapons. The only people that had weapons was Jonathan and his father. They were the only ones that had sword, a sword or a spear. Everybody else in the military didn't have anything in, um, because the Philistines, when they had previously occupied and raided um, Israel, they made it to where there was no blacksmith in the Israelite land because they didn't want them to make any weapons. And so even for their plowing tools and they th the things that they needed to um, use for every day in um, working and plowing the field and things like that, they had to take those things to the Philistine nation in order to get their plowshares straightened or plowed out, whatever they needed to do to get um, anything sharpened, whatever, they had to go to the Philistines. And then the Philistines charged them way over the amount that they should have charged them in order to service their tools that they would use for farming and things like that but even though jonathan was at a deficit although he seen that they were outnumbered although he knew that they didn't have all the the um the equipment that they needed or the weapons that they needed to um have a successful victory over this army it didn't stop him he was bold and courageous he's ready to strike again and so he tells his armor baron and he tells him also he says Let's strike them. Let's let's strike that post. And he says, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. And so not only does he display boldness and courageous in the face of a critical situation, but he's also and not only is he ready to take action, he's ready to move. He doesn't care about what the negativity, what it looks like. He's ready to move forward and he's exercising his faith because he says, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. 
So this is an example of someone, this leader, this person who, despite how critical the situation is, despite how he is outnumbered, despite how he's at a deficit, he still is bold and courageous and ready to take action because, it, like it says, he is kicking in his faith. He believes God. He says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. So he is moving in faith. We can learn something here. Just like Jonathan, he's bold and courageous. Despite the circumstances, despite the situation, he's ready to take action. Even when everybody else is scared and fearful, running and hiding and, and, and crossing the Jordan, he's exercising his faith because he's choosing to believe God. Can we, like Jonathan, can we be bold and courageous? Can we be ready to take action when other people are running scared, when other people are failing to step up um, to the situation. Can we exercise our faith and believe God and say, you know what? Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. And then he says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving us, whether by many or few. He knew they were few in number. But he says, the Lord can, he can save us whether there is, we have many or we have few. Jonathan understood something about God. His faith did the talking. But not only did he have faith, but like the Bible says, it says faith without works is dead. He put his works with his faith and he moved forward. Can we choose to move forward in the face of a critical situation? What will be our approach when we're faced with a critical situation? Can we trust God to get us through, whether few or many, whether we have enough or we don't? Can we trust God in plenty and in lack? And so he says this to his armor bearer. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or few. But check out what the armor bearer says. He says, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. That's what I'm talking about. His armor bearer, the one who is bearing his armor, his armor bearer, the one who assists him in war, the one who's supposed to um, help to protect him. That armor bearer says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. So what he is really saying here is, I am fully committed to the plan. Whatever you set your heart and mind to, whatever you set your heart to, Jonathan, I'm there. I'm fully committed, heart and soul. Heart and soul. That's who we need in our, on our team. Armor bears, someone who has our agenda and wants to push our agenda forward, who sees our vision and wants to push our vision forward, not, not signed up to try to see what they can get because of who we are, not someone who is trying to, to have a come up, but an armor bearer. Can we be fully committed to someone, heart and soul? Can we be fully in agreement to that plan, to that vision? 
Can we serve in our church like this armor bearer where the pastor casts the vision? Can we get behind that vision and help push it forward? Or are we someone looking for a come up? Are we ambitious, looking for a way how we can, uh, we can push our agenda? We should be like this armor bearer and be fully committed to the vision and plan. Even on our jobs, can you get behind that manager? Can you get behind that supervisor and be fully committed, ready to push that vision or that plan or whatever that, that, that manager or that um, supervisor, whatever vision he casts forth, can we get behind it fully? Or are we one that's whispering to other coworkers trying to figure out how we can get around this or whispering trying to cause division? Or are we one who is sowing discord in the church by whispering and, and sharing how um, the visionary's plan, vision is faulty or whatever the case may be? Are you speaking against it or are you going to get fully behind the plan? Even as Christians, we have this Bible, this, this, this blueprint of how the Lord wants to lead and guide us. He's given us many examples here, and he's showing us, and he's provided in this word how we are to move forward on this Christian road. Are we going to be like the armor bearer? Are we going to say, do all, are we going to say, do all that you have in mind? Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul, God. Whatever I'm yielded to you, God, whatever your vision is for my life, God, whatever your plan and purpose is for my life, God, it doesn't matter what I might think or what, or if I think I have a better way, can I fully get behind it? And can I be fully committed to your plan and purpose and your vision for my life? Can I be all in heart and soul in agreement with you? Can we serve in a fully committed capacity where we're not questioning a plan we're not questioning a vision we're not questioning a purpose fully committed and so he says do all that you have in mind in other words i'm right behind you i'm i'm, I'm with you go ahead i am with you heart and soul jonathan said come on then <laughs> so now we have two people in full agreement they ready to execute some things Come on then, we will cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. So he's revealing the plan to the armor bearer. Once the armor bearer is fully committed, then he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are, not go up. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because we will... That will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So he, after the armor bearer is fully committed, he then moves to tell the, ar the armor bearer the plan. That right there speaks volume because oftentimes before we find out how committed a person who is serving us is, we, we are prematurely giving them information. We need to withhold information until we realize who is fully with us because knowledge is power. Oftentimes we are telling too much to too many people and they're not committed. They're not committed to the vision. They're not committed to the plan or purpose for our lives, whether it is the pastor casting a vision, whether it's the manager or supervisor casting a vision at work, whatever the case may be, the teacher casting a vision at school, whatever that case may be. We do not need to share the plan until we know that that person 
who is sent to serve, who is there in that position to serve us, is ready, fully committed and all in before we express, but before we share what that plan is. So his plan is this. He's going to wait until he says, if they say, we're going to cross over towards them and let them see us. That's part of the plan. And then he says, if they say to us, wait there until we come, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hand. So, dude is committed fully to Jonathan. Jonathan shares the plan. And that part of that plan is he's 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 saying that he's asking basically he's asking God for a sign meaning that this is going to be the sign that God wants us to move forward with what I'm trying to move forward with he says that the sign would be that if they say to us wait here until we come to you we will stay where we are and I go up okay here's the sign but if they say to us come up to us we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hand. So the sign would be that they would say, the Philistines would say, once Jonathan and the armor bearers show themselves to the Philistines, once they are seen, if the Philistines say, come up, that's the sign that the Lord is going to give them victory. Okay, so then verse 11, it says, so both of them, Jonathan and the armor bearer, they, both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. And then the Philistines respond, they say, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes and they are hiding and where they were hiding. So they are taking it as the Philistines are now coming. I mean, that the Israelite, the Philistines are taking it as if Israel is now coming out of the holes. But truly what it is, is just Jonathan and his armor bear. And so it says the men in verse 12, the men of the outpost showed it, shouted to Jonathan and his armor bear. They tell them, come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. So that's the sign that Jonathan was looking for. If they told them to come up, that was a sign that God is going to give them a victory. So he knew that when he heard that, it was a done deal. He knew that God was going to um, deliver the Israel, um, the Philistines into his hands. He knew that he was going to get to victory. And so there's times in our lives where when we are moving forward and we are being bold and courageous and we're taking actions, there's times where we, like Jonathan, we may want to lay a sign out to make sure, you know, we want confirmation. God, are you with me? Are you, are you um, in this? Are you going to give me the victory? And when we when we're asking God to show us a sign, let's say that God said, just like Jonathan, let's go back here. He said, if they say to us, I'm in verse nine, wait there until we come to you. We will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up, we will climb up. And that that would be our sign that that's a victory. Now, oftentimes when we're asking God for a sign. Sometimes, OK, that was clear cut. If they tell us to stay. If they don't, if they don't tell us, if they say, wait there until we come to you, we're going to stay here. But if they say, come up, that's the, that's the sign. But sometimes what if they would have said, we want y'all to meet us 
over here on this side of the mountain. He, they didn't say, wait there until we come to you. They didn't say, come up to us and we, we will climb. Um, they, didn't, they didn't say, come up to us or climb up to us. They didn't say neither of those, but they said, we'll, uh, oh, go to the side and we'll meet you over there. Sometimes we might misconstrue that as, oh, well, we'll make it seem like that they said, well, what they're saying to us is, even though they said, come over here, they're really telling us to come up. What I'm really trying to, to get at here is sometimes we can um, we can share that we want this clear sign, but then if the sign that we are looking for does not come in a clear way, we can kind of make it seem like it is what it is and it really isn't, meaning that Jonathan said, if they say come up, that's the sign. But if they said to Jonathan, come over here or meet us over here, Jonathan could have, if he wanted to misconstrue the sign, if he, like say, sometimes we can want, let me just break it down here. Sometimes we can want something so bad that we ask God for a sign to see if that's confirmation of something that he wants for us. But then if it doesn't come exactly how we had wanted it to come, as we had stated in the, um, the confirmation, like what the confirmation would be, I hope I'm not confusing you. Sometimes when we want something so bad, we can make something sound like confirmation when it really isn't. Like Jonathan could, could have wanted this victory so bad that if they didn't say come up or if they didn't say stay there, which was the clear cut between the two of if God is in it or not. And if they chose to say, meet us over here, if Jonathan wanted to engage them in battle so bad or if he wanted that battle so bad, Sometimes, all I'm saying is sometimes we can want something some bad that we can say, well, oh, they didn't say this or that, but they said this. So maybe this, maybe this is what God meant. And sometimes that's where we get in trouble. We ask for a sign, but when we don't get the sign that we think that we want and it's something else, we kind of try to make it, we tweak it to try to make it fit what we want it to say. For instance, if, I, if I'm believing God and I say, you know what, Lord, I want a new car. But when I go to the dealership and I want to pay, pay $350, that's going to be the sign. And I know that that's an unusual amount of money because it's so low for a car payment. But that's what I want to pay. So I know that if it's you, God, if you allow me to get this car for $350 a month, which I know this car is well more well is worth more than that as a monthly payment. But if you let me get it for $350, then I know it was you. Well, you get to the car lot and they say, you tell them, you know, you can only afford $350. And they say, okay, well, we we can only we can't approve you for $350, but we can approve you for $365. Well, if you say, well, you know what, that's just 15 more dollars, you know, I can still afford that. I'm going to go with it. You know, I, I think that's God. No, that's not God because your your confirmation was that you would only, that you said 350 not 365 So sometimes I think what we do is when we want something so bad, we will make it look like God when it's not God. And so again, Jonathan... He, he, um, he, he asked God for a sign, and that sign was that they would tell him to climb up, and that's what they did. 
And so they said, come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, basically has the green light to move forward. Climb up after me. And I'm in verse 12, the bottom of verse 12. Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. So Jonathan has received the confirmation. Verse 13, Jonathan climbs up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. Again, he's in the right position. Again, that armor bearer is assisting him. Notice the, uh, the, the, the position of the armor bearer. He's not ahead of Jonathan. Again, he is supposed to be protecting Jonathan also. So he's behind him. And oftentimes, we ain't in the right positions. You know, our leader is first. We're supposed to get behind the leader. But oftentimes, sometimes some of us, we want to get in front of the leader. So the armor bearer is right behind him. The Philistines, they said the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. So when it says the Philistines fell before Jonathan, that means Jonathan was jacking them up in the front. Like he was in the front jacking them up. And then the armor bearer was behind Jonathan, jacking the ones that was coming from behind, jacking them up. So in other words, what is happening here, which is the bomb, is the armor bearer has Jonathan's back. That is, Jonathan is fighting in the front, getting them. And because he's behind Jonathan, he's getting the ones that's coming from behind. He's tearing them up. So in other words, what this is saying is this is what you call having somebody's back this he was he had jonathan's back literally not only literally he had jonathan's back in deed and in action we can learn a lot here oftentimes we are so quick to tell people we got your back oh they got my back i got their back but do they really have your back because having your back should look just like this while you taking care of stuff in the front, that person that's got your back should be behind you, taking care of what's coming from behind you. So we need to think twice about people saying, I got your back, or even ourselves saying that we got our back. What are we really saying there? When we say we got somebody's back, we need to really have their back. That means we need to cover them. So this armor bear, this armor bear, he was covering Jonathan, the person that he was serving covering him jonathan tearing him up in the front he following up in the back and so it says again the philistines fell before jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him in the first attack jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half an acre and so because of this as we move on in verse 15 Panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field, and those in the outpost and raiding party. So, wait a minute. This ain't Israel. This is the Philistines camp. Before it was Israel. They running scared and going, hiding in, hiding in pits and rocks and caves and crossing Jordans and scattering. But now the panic has struck the whole army, those in the camp and the field, and those in the outpost and raiding party. So that means all of the military is running in a panic. So much so that the ground and the ground shook. It was a, and this panic was sent by God. There was a divine intervention. God is clearly fighting on behalf of Israel. 
He, he, he gave confirmation to Jonathan that he would get the victory. And now God is fighting on his and Israel's behalf. God sent panic through an earth, and he sent an earthquake. The ground is shaking. As we've seen previously in uh, chapter 7, when the last time that Israel was engaged in a war, in a fight with the Philistines, God fought on behalf of them. God sent panic in their camp. But that time he sent thunder, but this time he sent an earthquake. God is so the bomb. When we just allow him to fight for us, when we get the green light from him that we will get the victory, oh my goodness, look at the hand of God. His divine intervention. He's, his intervention is better than anybody's intervention. He sent panic throughout their camp. He sent it in the camp. So those in the camp were scared. Those in the field those in the outpacks and the raiding parties, all of them was sent in panic by God. And the ground shook, meaning that an earthquake had taken place. And so Saul's lookouts, all of this is going on. And Saul under this tree, he, he under, all of this is taking place. Now, remember I told you that it was two leaders, but one being of lower rank. Jonathan was the son. Saul is the king. He is the one who should be leading this um this military but he over here under a tree Saul is like it says in verse 2 Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree while all of this is going on he under a tree with 600 men he got the priest with him but he under a tree resting resting and so it says, Saul's lookout in, in, at Gibeah in Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to his men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. And when I first approached this verse, I was like, okay, he about to do something. But I was kind of looking at him. I was kind of looking at this verse with a side eye like, oh, so now that, you know, Jonathan is handling his business and, and the Philistines is running scared and panicking. Now you want to do something? I was kind of looking at him side eye, but that reminds us of some of the friends that we have where, you know, like if we get ready to go fight somewhere back in the day, not now as we Christians, we shouldn't be doing this, but back in the day, you know, when you gather everybody up to fight and then if you um, meet up with some people and they're, they're bigger than y'all, some of the friends, they start running off. They don't want to help you or whatever. And they kind of leave you by yourself or they might leave you with two or three people left from a whole gang of people that you had at one time, but y'all done met up with some people that might be bigger than y'all, but then... When y'all get to fighting and squaring off and y'all get to fighting and you start your your side of the team starts winning, them other ones that had backed off or left, here they come trying to get a punch in now that you winning. You got to be careful and weary of them, but I know that y'all know what I'm talking about. It's them, them friends that leave and only show up when you winning. Not only in, in a fight, but even in, in life. Those friends that when you're winning, they with you when you're winning, but as soon as you start losing or as soon as your money get funny... Or as soon as you have some problems that arise in your life, or as soon as you are faced with critical situations, they go running. But then when you're making a comeback, here they come. And so then it says that Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. What? Why not? Go fight. Go help. Get them. But he said he want to know who's left with, left, who has left us. He want to know who's missing from the camp. A whole dude, a whole, a whole war is breaking out. And you want to know who's missing. A whole war. 
a whole fight is breaking out. Grounds is shaking. Earthquakes are happening. People running in panic. But you want to know who is left. A whole war is breaking out. And so when they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who was not there. So they, they, um, so again, Saul's lookout saw what was happening over in the Philistine camps and how the army was melting away in all directions, meaning they were scattering and running in panic. And the first thing Saul wanted to know is who, who gone from us? Who's, who's missing? And so once he found out that Jonathan, it's Jonathan and his armor bearer, he still don't move to go fight because you're, 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 it's clear that your son must be engaged in the fight. But no, he don't go fight yet. He says to Ahijah, which is the priest, bring the ark of God. Okay. Okay, so, okay, I can get with that. He wants, you know, he wants to seek God about this situation. So the, um, the priest, while he's talking to the priest, the turmoil in the Philistine case, in, in the Philistine camp increases more and more. So Saul, in the midst of him seeking the counsel of God, in the midst of talking with the priest, he he tells him to withdraw his hands. In other words, what this is saying is, while he's in the midst of seeking God and trying to seek an answer from God about what to do or how to move forward, whatever the case may be, he's, he was asking about you know the situation that was unfolding. He didn't even wait to hear completely from God. He tells the priest, once he's seen that the turmoil in the Philistine camp was increasing, he told the priest, withdraw your hand. In other words, he, he, he didn't finish out seeking God in that situation. So then Saul said, he was like, okay, enough of this. You know, I'm about to, me and the, he was assembling his men for a battle. So in verse 20, he said, then Saul and all his men assembled and went to battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with swords. And then those Hebrews who had previously gone up to up with them to their camp went over to Israelites. So Hebrews that had previously went over to serve in the Philistine army, they're now coming back over into the with the Israelites and started hide or started fighting with them. And not only that, when all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle too. Again, these is them people. Remember, these is the people that when um, the Philistines first showed up with all their military, when they were faced with that critical situation, they hadn't engaged yet in battle, but they showed up. All these people had left and ran, and, and, and like I said, some of these Israelites had went over with the um, Philistines and then some of them who had been hiding in the hill country, now they want to come and join forces because now Israel is kicking butt. They're winning. They're seeing how the Philistines are in disarray and how they are panicking and how they are scattering and going different directions because they're afraid. So, verse 23, on, the, on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth Avon. And so here we have, we had two leaders, one bold and courageous, ready to take action, is being led by faith. And the other one, they are in the same situation. The other one's under the, under the um, tree, surrounded by men. They have, he hadn't even assembled them to even move forward in war. They're, the troops, 600 troops was around him. And he's... Um, Staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree. 
And then when he sees all that is when he, it is reported back to him, all that is happening, he still doesn't move forward in, in battle. It's not until he had sought God and he didn't even finish that out that he just left and then engaged in the battle. But not only that, as we move forward, it says that in verse 24, now the Israelites were in distress that day because um, because Saul had bound the people under an oath saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself by my enemy. So now this leader is, 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 is um, he has cast an oath. He put his people under an oath and he tells them basically they can't eat. He said you cannot eat until, you can't eat before evening comes. Or until he has avenged himself of his enemies. So he's depriving his men, his followers of food. Something that they need to nourish their body. Not only that, but food is used also to, um, to um, cause you to have the ability to be able to function. It's fuel. And so he tells them, no, you can't eat. Until evening comes or before I have avenge myself of my enemy so none of his troop tasted food um and so they're still engaging in battle Saul tells them by oath curse anyone who eats food before evening comes or before I have avenged my enemies and so the entire army entered the woods and there was there happened to be some honey on the ground when they went in the woods and they saw the honey oozing out yet None of them, because of the oath that they were under, none of them put their hand to their mouth, meaning that none of them went and got any of this honey. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with an oath, and he reached out the end of his staff that was in his hand and dipped into the honeycomb. He raised his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. So basically what has happened is, Jonathan was not privy to that information prior. He didn't know anything about it. And he saw some honey. He took and he ate some of it. And because he had ate some of it, it caused his eyes to brighten, meaning that he got his strength. He was getting some strength. It was fuel. And so it strengthened Jonathan. But the other men, they didn't do it because they were under this oath. So then it says... After Jonathan did this and his eyes were crying, get this, he said, Then one of the soldiers told him, Your father bound the army under a strict oath saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food today. This is why the men are faint. But the problem I'm having with this is, why did this person wait until after Jonathan ate the honey to tell him that? It would make sense to me. That when you saw Jonathan getting ready to go towards this honey, again, he had to reach down and bring his hand back up to his mouth. Why didn't the dude tell him beforehand, oh, yo, we took an oath with your father. Your father doesn't want us eating. He waited until after Jonathan did it to tell him. And so that's problematic for me because it's like, why didn't you warn me before? <coughs> but that's like things that happen with us. There's times where people can warn us before we make the mistake, but they choose not to warn us until after we've done it. He could have prevented Jonathan from doing this. 
but he waited until after the fact to tell him. There's times where we can prevent something from happening or for, for some, for, we can prevent someone, um, we can prevent their fall, if you will, by just warning them. There's times where we can, we can prevent people from getting in trouble if we just warn them and we can tell them. But oftentimes there's some who like to sit back and watch you make the mistake and then tell you what the consequences is going to be later. And so, dude, he, he didn't tell him beforehand. He waited till Jonathan tasted the honey. And then he said to Jonathan, your father is bound to army under a strict oath. Curse be anyone who eats food today. And so Jonathan responded, he says, my father made trouble for the country. See how my eyes brighten when I tasted a little of this honey. How much better would it have been if the men had eaten today of some of the plunder they took from their enemies? Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? And so this leader, Jonathan, he used wisdom. Jonathan understood that he was fake. They are in the midst of a battle. And they're faint. But Jonathan, in his wisdom, knew that he needed to get fuel for his body because he was becoming faint. He was losing strength. And he had enough wisdom to know, I need to eat. But this other leader, he prevents them from eating. In fact, he pronounces a curse over them if they did engage in eating. But Jonathan says, how much better it would have been if the men had eaten today. Sometimes there is times where what we see here in this battle is they could have even been greater. They could have been greater in this battle had they been fueled. Yes, they are winning. Yes, they have um, the, 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 the Philistines are panicking and they're running. But they could have really, really jacked them up if they would have had fuel. If they could they, they could have been refueled and so he tells them would not the slaughter of the philistines have even been greater we could get a greater victory if we stop and eat oftentimes we are operating on fumes when we need to stop and eat we need to eat physically and we need to eat spiritually Sometimes we're in a spiritual battle and we have not eaten and we are becoming faint. And even in the midst of a, in the midst of the battle, Jonathan had that wisdom. He knew I'm in this fight and yes, I've been doing good. I've been pursuing this enemy, but it can be tiresome on your body. It can be tiresome on your mind. And he knew I need to stop and I need to refuel. I need to eat. Same is true for us. We are, some of us are in a critical situation. We're in a battle. And yes, God has, he has divinely intervened on our behalf and he is fighting for us also. And we're engaging in it too. But then we're getting faint. That is because we need to refuel. We need to stop and eat from the word of God. Some of us are Running on fumes. We are we are running on the word that we read last week or the week before that. And we're not daily reading our Bibles. We're not daily eating from the word of God. And we're wondering why we are losing fuel, why we are faint. It is because we are not eating. 
And some of us, that's a word for some of us. We need to, the reason why you are faint is because you have not eaten. You are running on Sunday sermon only, but you are not picking up your Bible and reading it for your daily devotional. We're running on Sunday sermon and then we're, we're running on the Bible studies and then we don't have nothing in between and we're wondering why we're faint. It's because we need to eat. We need to have daily devotions with the word of God. That is fuel for us to move forward. It gives us fuel for our bodies physically. Just like we need to eat for our bodies physically to function, we need to, we need to eat from the word of God spiritually for our bodies to our minds and our emotions and everything to move in a spiritual way. We need to eat spiritual food. When we want our mind, our flesh and to come underneath subjection of the Holy Spirit, we need to eat the Word of God. We need to eat the Word of God. And so, it says, That day, after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Adam, they were exhausted because they didn't eat. They had gotten the victory, but they were exhausted. Have you ever felt the feeling of exhaustion? I have. Last summer, I was moving, 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 moving. Just I kept going, 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 going. And then one day, I felt it in my body. It's different from being tired. Exhaustion is a different beast. It takes days for you to recoup from exhaustion. And so they were exhausted. So much so that they pounced on the plunder and... Taking sheep, cattle, and calves, they butchered them on the ground and ate them together with the best. They were so exhausted. They were so exhausted that they didn't even they didn't even prepare the meat like they were supposed to. They were actually breaking God's law. They were eating meat with blood in it because they had been deprived from eating while they were, you know, in the midst of the battle from stopping and eating. They were deprived from that when they was released to eat. They were sinning because they were eating the meat with the blood still in us, which was a Levitical law that they was not supposed to do. They broke a Levitical law. Then someone said to Saul, look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that has blood in it. And then he says, you have broken faith, he says. Roll a large stone over here at once. Then he says, go out among the men and tell each one of them to bring your cattle and sheep and slaughter them and eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with blood still in it. And so everyone, so even though he told them not to eat, and now because they are exhausted and they're hungry, they're sinning, and now he's, you know, he's coming, thank God he's coming up with a remedy. He doesn't want them to sin. And so that all could have been prevented if he would have never um, caused them to come underneath an oath with a curse that if they did break the oath that they would, that they would be cursed. And so the very one who's caused the situation, now he's got to fix the situation. And thank God there was a rent. I thank God there's a remedy. And that's to say that, you know, there's sometimes as a leader, we may make a decision that's not the right decision. And we may see it later. But when we see that decision, we need to do something. When we see that we've made the right, wrong decision and we see the repercussions of that situation, we need to do everything in our power to try to correct that situation. So Saul, so he's trying to correct this situation, and he does. 
by causing them to bring, he goes to get a rock and he calls them to slaughter the sheep and eat them the correct way. And so, everyone brought his ox and slaughtered it there and Saul built an altar and then Saul said, let us go down to pursue the Philistines by night. So they're still engaging in this war. So he says, let's go down by the Philistines. I mean, let's go down and pursue the Philistines by night and plunder them till dawn. So what has happened here is he had told them they couldn't eat before evening comes before I've avenged myself by the evening. So obviously um, here in the text, when they were um, butchering the meat on the ground and eating it with blood, evening has come. And they were they were permitted to eat then, but then when they started eating, they wasn't doing it the right way. Actually, they were sinning. They was eating meat with blood in it. And so Saul corrects the situation by um, getting a rock and having them bring their meat to where he was and slaughter it there and do it the right way. And so then he tells them, you know, after they eat and said, let's go down and pursue the Philistines by night and plunder them till dawn and let us leave. Let us not leave one of them alive. And so they say, do what seems best. They replied, but the priest said, let us inquire of God. So a priest here is now saying, you know, before we did that, um, you abruptly went and did what you did, Saul, you know, be, without finishing out. You had sought God, but in the middle of seeking God, you hadn't really fully sought him all the way. You left in the middle of seeking him. But now before you move forward to do this, Let's seek God. So the priest said, let us inquire of God. So Saul asked God, shall I go down to pursue the Philistines? Will you give him into his hand? But God did not answer Saul that day. So Saul, therefore, said he, um, he assembles all. He tells all the leaders, all you are leaders and are the army and let us find. He says, come, let us find out what sin has been committed today. So Saul is taking the fact that he has not, that God will not answer. He is taking that as, he's, he's taking that as something is wrong. There must be sin amongst us because God is not answering. And so he calls the leader of the army and he says, let's find, find out what sin has been committed today because he recognizes that something is wrong. God has not responded. He's not answering. And so... They, he also says that, let us find out who has committed the sin today as surely as the Lord who rescues Israel live, even if the guilt lies with my son Jonathan, he must die. But not one of them said a word, so nobody snitched on Jonathan. Everybody knew that Jonathan was the one who committed a sin because he disobeyed the king without him knowing that he was disobeying, but he ate when the king said, he would be cursed. So, Saul then said to all Israel, you stand over there and I and my son will stand over here. So they're about to cast lots to find out where the guilt lies. So they go through all of that, those formalities, and the lot falls. It, Saul has him and Jonathan on one side and the troops on another side. So when the, cat, the lots are cast, the lot fell towards Saul and Jonathan. And so... They did lots again, and it came to find out that the lot fell to Jonathan. It was discussed. Then Jonathan admitted what he had done. And so he told his dad, I tasted a little honey with the end of my staff, and now I must die. So Jonathan ain't even trying to get out of it. I mean, it is what I, he's, it seems like he's saying it is what it is. I did it. I did the crime. Now I must die. 
Saul said, may God deal with me. Be it ever so severely if you do not die, Jonathan. So he don't, Saul don't even care that this is his own son. He ain't got no type of, uh, he ain't feeling sorry at all. He's telling, basically, be it ever so severely if you do not die, Jonathan. So he's saying that Jonathan has to die because of what he's done. But, 45, but the men said to Saul, should Jonathan die who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? In Israel? Let, they said, never, as surely as the Lord lives, not a hair on his head shall fall to the ground, for he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. <coughs> so, this sounds a little bit familiar, but remember in previous chapters where Saul was being anointed, publicly being anointed king of Israel, and there was some men, some rebels, who wasn't in agreement with it. They didn't even think that he was capable or had what it takes to be their king. And they were mean about it. And they said to him, these were some scoundrels, some rebels. They said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. So there was people that had spoke against Saul. But then... Saul had established himself as king. He proved himself when the Ammonites had came up against um, the men of Jabesh. And Saul, um, that was the first time that he gathered his military forces around him. And he went to war and won the war. I mean, he tore them up. And so he was established as king. So when the people saw what Saul was capable of doing and he was established as king and he won the war... They wanted to go after the guys who had said all this stuff about Saul previously. These scoundrels, these rebels who said, how can this fellow save us? And they despised him and brought him no gift. They wanted to kill them. But Saul didn't want that to happen to them. And so he spoke up on their behalf. And he says to them, you know, he don't want, he, because the Lord has, brought them great victory that no man should die. But here, Saul is ready to kill Jonathan for, you know, he didn't even know that about the oath and he's ready to kill his own son. But then some men spoke up on Jonathan's behalf and says, you know, we've won, you know, it's because of Jonathan, we won this war. So some men spoke up for Jonathan. Okay, Saul spoke up for some rebels. He didn't want them to die, even though they spoke against him. But when it came to his own son, he didn't even want to spare his own son's life. It took some other people to speak up for Jonathan, for Jonathan's life to be spared. And so the men rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. And then it says Saul stopped pursuing the Philistines, and they withdrew their, to their own land. After Saul had assumed rule, rule um, over Israel, he fought against their enemies on every side. He fought Moab, Ammonites, Edom, Zoash, the Philistines, whatever, whatever he turned, he inflicted punishment on them. He fought violently, valiantly and defeated the Amalekites, delivering Israel from the hands of those who had plundered them. So not after, so it says that after Saul, you know, after he stopped pursuing the Philistines in this situation, 
um, it, we will find later on that he becomes successful in battles as he battled um, other nations. And so, what we again, what we have here is the striking contrast between two leaders of how they approach this critical situation. We had one who was camped, who was resting under a tree, and we have another one that was Saul. We have another one who was of lower rank, who displayed bold, courageous um, character. He was ready to take action, even though he was faced with a critical situation. He was ready to take action. He was led by his faith. And so in the same sense, that is what we can take away here today. There is going to be times where we are going to be faced with some critical situations. In fact, Jesus Christ was faced with some with a critical situation. You know, he was tried in a court. He was tried unjustly. He he was tried. He was accused of things that he didn't do. He was lied on. He was facing a critical situation. And that critical situation was that of the cross. He was to he was sentenced to die on the cross. And you know what? He faced that. It was the plan and purpose of God for his son Jesus to die on the cross of Calvary to save us from our sins. And so he was faced with the cross. And it was critical because we know that because in the Garden of Gethsemane, he struggled with that. Because three times he asked for that cup to pass from him. In other words, he he didn't want to do it. He had a responsibility it was a critical situation he was following. You know, that cross was, it wasn't a run in the park. That was not a pretty scene. He had to die for us. He had to die for those same people who was accusing him, those who was betraying him. He, it was a difficult task, but he faced it. He met it with boldness. He was courageous. He After he, after he said, when the Lord didn't allow the cup to pass. He kept asking God, can this cup pass? Meaning that, is there some way that I can get out of it? But then when the Lord didn't respond, he said, not my bill, but your will be done. Meaning that he, he accepted that challenge. He understood there's a critical situation facing me on Calvary, but I'm going to meet it like Jonathan did. He met it with boldness and courageous. He's greater than Jonathan, of course. He met it with boldness and courageous. He was ready to take action. After he had that situation in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was then ready. After he said, not my will, but your will be done, he was ready to take action. He was ready for it. And in faith, he moved towards Jerusalem. He moved towards the cross of Calvary where he bled, suffered, and died for you and me. And where he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But where he was rose on the third day morning. And, and it happens to be Holy Week this week. As a reminder of all the things that Christ done for us. He was betrayed by Judas. He was sold for 30 pieces of silver. He went, he was, he was lied on in court. But then he was, even though they didn't find any guilt in him, he, they, they still sentenced him to death. And he was nailed on a cross in between two thieves. And he died. He blessed her and died. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But on that third day morning, even in this season of resurrection, um, we have Resurrection Sunday coming, approaching. 
But on that third day morning, on that resurrection Sunday, he got up with all power in his hand. And now he is seated on the right hand of the Father, waiting on the next phase. And that next phase is he is coming back again. That is the good news. Jesus, if he can face a critical situation, he has given us the example. Not only has he given us his example, we have the example with Jonathan. And there's so many other people throughout the scriptures who, who displays this, 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 this boldness and courageousness and how they have placed their, they have put their faith to the task, even in the face of a critical situation. They used their faith and they trusted God and God met them because they, they joined their works with their faith. Faith without works is dead. And they joined their works and they in the partnership with God, they got the victory. This has been another broadcast of Living the Bible Together with Dr. Troy Shaw from the Liberty Hill Church, where we worship virtually on Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information or to contribute to this ministry, please visit us online at livingthebibletogether.org. God bless you and have a great week. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry.